Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. Good to see everyone. It's great to be together um, today celebrating baptisms, lots of other things. We're celebrating graduation. Any like parents who finally got kids off the payroll this weekend? Just me? Um, not too bad. Um, we actually got a little grad school action, so we're not, we're not done uh, yet. In fact, I said, hey, you got one more year at the house. She said, who said that? So we're having this conversation um, uh, now, what, but it's been, a, it's been a great kind of a really mixed, you know, last few weeks, a lot of emotion, a lot of, um, a lot of good things, a lot of hard things. And that's probably true, uh, perhaps, your, your life as well. And one of the things that we're doing in this um, series is exploring why we read the Bible. Like when you come to church, we open up the Bible. Most of you, if you grew up in a church or you're familiar with some form of Christianity, you're very used to a person in my position, you know, opening up the Bible and reading to us from the Bible and then talking about what the Bible says. But I think it's a worthy question to explore why. Like, why would we use the Bible? What do we believe about it? What do we think it's supposed to do? And maybe more importantly, does what we think it's supposed to do actually, is that what it actually does? And so, you know, my journey, if you're kind of new uh, to Port City or um, you're kind of exposed to this, this way of, you know, way, it, my journey has just been a journey, particularly for the last probably 10 or 12 years of just questions, just asking and asking. And um, I don't see that as a, an affront to God or anything. I just see it as it's, it's really been out of a place of curiosity and wanting to know more and more about who this God that I have come to know in my first part of my life was, who he was and how he was going to continue to reveal himself to me. And it's changed the way I've read the Bible, and so we're going to kind of let you in on that um, today. I want to begin, and the assumption is that most of us, we read the Bible. I'm not, again, this is like the earlier service. I've got to figure out how I'm going to set this up, so it could be different throughout the day. Uh, so if you watch and you see a different service, you're like, oh, you didn't do it at this service. It's because I changed it. But a lot of us, um, we read this, the Bible, as rule keepers. And depending on whether you are a compliant, you know, kind of first child, uh, you know, birth order person, or whether you're like the radical, crazy middle child, um, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and um, depends on how you read, like, like whether you consider yourself a rule keeper, whether you like just do what it says, whether you resist or rebel against what it says. And this is sort of our categories for how we view much of the way we approach the Bible and all that it says. And then Jesus adds these words. And if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look in John 14 and 15. We'll read a lot of different places, but particularly John 14 and 15. It's in the New Testament, uh, about a little over uh, probably two-thirds of the way back. You'll find John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four uh, Gospels, and then uh, flip through the chapters. By the way, like chapters and verses were not in the original writings. You know this, right? This is like added later for us to build a reference, just so people will kind of forget this. Um, Jesus says this in John chapter 14, 15. He says, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the way in which 
Whichever part you emphasize will help you see how you read the Bible. Most of us, the emphasis is over here. What do I need to do? What I need to do is to keep the commandments, and if I keep the commandments, guess what? I will prove that I what? You can say it. If you keep his if you do the things you're supposed to, if you go to church, if you give your money, if you don't say bad words, whatever your list is, then you will prove what? That you love Jesus, love God. <clears throat> so we read something like this. We're going to put this on the screen. This is John writing le- later on in his letter, 1 John. Here's what he says. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3. We're going to read this on the screen and just see how it feels. We know that we have come to know him if what? We keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands <laughs> is a liar and the truth is not in that person. How you feeling? This is how we read, though, right? We're doing a quiet time. We read this, and we're like, well, what kind of person am I? Well, if you didn't do, like, all the things you're supposed to do, he's kind of said you're a liar, and the truth isn't in you. God, thank you for speaking to me today. And this, I'm going to put this right on my, my mug next to Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And he just goes on. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we have come to know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever obeys his word. And the big question is, which word? And of course, we we grew up in the church and say all of them. Like don't eat shrimp. And all the other things that are all in here. And these are all, because if, if we're really serious about trying to live like Jesus lived how to understand what he intends for us. We have to begin to understand what he's asking of us and what it means to obey and what it is that we actually do. And it's a really good question. What do you do with what you read? Most of us have just sort of grown up, says the Bible says it, and that settles it, and that's the end of it. And the reality is is that's not how God gave us the Bible in the first place. It's not not how it's written. It's not how it's available to us. It's not how we read it. It's not how we interact with it. So we have to begin to sort of think about this. And the way I've been trying to, you know, the Bible is this, this beautiful story, right? It's, it's, it has a beginning and then it unfolds as God reveals himself to us. As God reveals himself to us. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 begins to give us a frame of reference for what we do and how we read the Bible. So again, we're going to read this together. We're going to just kind of walk through this and see if we can do like a, this is going to be kind of devotional in its tone today. I just want to walk you through some of these things. God had created for six days or five days, he had created all that we see. And on the sixth day, he creates the livestock. This is all in Genesis 1. And it's written in a po- in a, as a poem. The creation account in Genesis 1 is an ancient Hebrew poem written in poetry form. It reads like that. There's rhyme and meter. A lot of us struggle with this because we feel like this, this thing was sort of dropped out of the sky. You know, it was written to, to demonstrate and to reveal to us. And at the very end of this poem 
or in the part of this poem, we get this, the day six, and we get the livestock. And then in verse 26, it says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, which is interesting that it's kind of plural. It reveals or begins to avail us that there's more to God than sort of what we know. And there's a lot of, we don't, we don't have time to get into that. But he says that he's gonna make him in our image, in our likeness. So that what? So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And if you're a farmer or a hunter, you're like, yes, I get this. The rest of us who, who have like, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of dirt on our fingernails, we're like, what is this? This isn't for me. But he's talking about we're, we're designed to contribute and to participate in what God had created. And then he goes on in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. And he's just repeating this as kind of the poetic emphasis. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And what you see is very clearly what you and I are to do. What you are to do. It goes back, when Jesus is talking about this, this whole narrative he would have been very familiar with. In fact, he was there when it happened. And he says, you are to bear God's image. He has made you and he has made me. He has made us in his image to bear his image. And what it does, it begins to offer another way for us to think about how we read the Bible, that you don't read it as a rule keeper, but perhaps we should learn to read it as an image bearer. And what you realize that he has said to you, as one who bears his image, participate, create, offer, right? To subdue the earth is to exercise dominion, to create and continue culture, under the command, under the rule, in consistency with what God has intended as a representative of him and one who is responsible for what he intends. This is a very different way how most of us have grown up thinking about what the Bible is to do, what God expects and asks of us. We think he's sort of this, this you know, kind of grandfatherly guy in the sky, but if you cross him, boom, you're gonna get struck by lightning because you, if you loved him, you would have done what he said. And instead of reading it or, or obeying, it's actually interesting, and I don't have time to get into all this, but this is not, we think of if-thens like legally, like contractually, if you do this, then I'll do that. But most of us, we ain't gonna do what we're supposed to do until that person does what they're supposed to do. And that's not how it works in this particular passage in the, in the language it was written in. But they call this a future probable state. So when it says, if you love me, you're more than likely going to fall in line and in the way of where your allegiance is. If you've been married 30 years and the only reason you don't cheat on your wife is because the Bible says so, you are missing something. If the only reason you haven't like killed someone is because the Bible says do not murder, you are missing something. If you don't steal because you're afraid you're gonna get caught or God's gonna strike you dead, you are missing something. You, you get this, right? 
So what happens in this sort of version of it here is that we are entrusted. We live as those who have been entrusted with an image and responsibility. And this is something in our culture that is lost. It is lost. And what's really interesting about this whole thing is the way we think about the Bible. We've been using this statement. I'm going to put it up there again so you can see this. But we believe that the Bible, this is what we think about the Bible. Again, I'm using language that's very specific to us. And there are reasons for that that I cannot fully deal with today. But the Bible is a collection of writings that reveal God's love. It means it unfolds. It reveals God's love. It reveals God's pursuit. And it reveals God's promise of redemption. Those are three really important things for you to have in your sort of mind as you're reading. God's not trying to get you or to catch you or to make you feel guilty or to make you feel shame. He's pursuing you. He's demonstrating his love for you, for me, for us. And it's important we understand this promise of redemption. God breathed and sovereignly preserved. The Bible reveals to us who God is and what he has to say, ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ as our clearest revelation of God. And so the scriptures serve to reveal God to us. Um, Greg Coles, who's become a friend over the last couple of years, to our church, he talks about this, and he says um, that a lot of us read the Bible, use this illustration, a lot of people read the Bible like it's a leash tied to a stake in the ground to make sure that you don't go any further than you're allowed to go, right? That's how we view it. We're like rule keepers, or you like to pull on it, see if you can move it. And what he suggests is that perhaps we should think of the Scriptures not like a leash tied to a stake in the ground, but perhaps a leash in God's hand leading us along the way. There are certainly directives and restrictions, but these aren't designed to limit us and to ensure that we stay out of trouble, but rather they're designed to free us. And he writes this, this is a quote, trusting the Bible should make us bolder and more adventurous, not keeping us confined to a seven foot radius in the backyard. The Bible is full of tensions. And if you only read the Bible to confirm what you already believe, it is very unlikely that it's going to be formative or revelation because you're not going to see anything more than what you already see. And so when we enter into this and we learn to read this, this is, what we're, this is what we're approaching, and this requires us. It requires, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, it requires community, it requires us. A lot of us think that the Bible is written specifically to be obeyed as though the intention is compliance. If you do these things and you'll prove to him that you love him, what he's saying, no, if you understand what it is to love me, your life is going to flow out of that. It's, it's, what, it's the way we're designed and it's what God has intended for us. The, the whole point, right, is to be reminded that our actions, that what we do contributes and creates, and it does. Everything that you and I do creates something, causes something, offers something into the world. You come home in a bad mood, what happens in your house? You created something. Every action, every action. I think personally, the, the challenge for us in our culture 
is that most of our systems and the way things are designed is designed to abdicate responsibility or to refuse to take responsibility to make sure that we are never fully accountable for what we have done. To always make sure there's a reason or an excuse. I remember being like seven, eight-year-old baseball. You hit the ball back to the pitch, pitcher, you like come up like a hammy, right? It's like, oh, because why didn't you run it out? Because I tore my hamstring. You know how those seven-year-old hamstrings are, right? You need, you need an excuse a reason why you didn't do what should have been done. A lot of us have lived our whole lives hedging our bets. We're always sort of playing down. Well, we shouldn't or I'm not. So we never really take responsibility. When you think about this command in the very beginning, what is it? It's to bear his image, to represent him, and then to take responsibility for what he has placed you here to do. And so this is what's really interesting. When God chose to use humans to get his work done, why do we think that he didn't use humans to record what he wanted? The idea is human agency. When it was God breathed, it doesn't mean he possessed them. It means there was a freedom for him to record and to write. Was it God's word? Yes, it's God's word. Is it God's authority? Yes, it's God's authority. But it is God himself that gives this authority, not the writer's. It's God breathed. He breathes into this so that the Spirit is what, and it is what re- reveals and calls and draws. And this is what you'll see recorded, what we're going to read sort of in our closing time this morning. It's what the Spirit is saying and doing what God has to say to us as we read and as we engage and as we interact. Are there principles that we need to apply? Of course there are. Is there guidance to be had? Of course there is. But the ultimate thing is that God reveals himself to us, that we need to learn how to experience him as we read, life with God, to experience this. Our call is to bear his image, not to simply keep his rules. The challenge is, a lot of you, you have experienced things, and so you go and you experience something, you love the experience, and what happens is you begin to chase the experience, and you just chase experience to experience to experience to experience, which is a part of it, but it is only a part. If you chase experiences, you're gonna end up being a consumer, and that's what a lot of people end up doing. Oh, I like, I like this church because Mike's really doing this, and as soon as it's not that, you're on to, to chase another experience, to consume it. And what you fail to realize is the second part of this is the responsibility that you actually contribute to who we are. If you're indifferent and kind of waiting to see, you're contributing to who we are because you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. We experience it and we contribute. And the tendency is the better you get at contributing things and knowing things as you pull away from community and from the mess, and you become a consultant. Let me just stand back here on this stage and tell you guys what to do. Part of my challenge and role as a pastor and we've, we've, I feel like our, our staff and a lot of the way we've been organized has really been super helpful to me because it's very easy to remove ourselves from things that we don't want to deal with. And what I've learned is it is critical to roll our sleeves up, to roll my sleeves up, and to stay involved with what is happening in people's lives, often in my own community, in the friendships I have, the relationships I have, and all these things. Because what we do, what we contribute, is what makes us who we are. This is a part of this. 
And this is exactly the challenge because what is it that we do when we obey? If you think about this, and I'm going to go ahead and put this up there, but if you think about this, when God spoke, and I'm, I'm going to try to write it like this. When God, let me see how to say this. When God gave his word in the beginning and he said, let there be light, he initiated creation. And sort of in this redemptive state that we live in, when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's, this, there's a connection to obedience. This is not indifferent. But I think what happens is that when we then, so if, 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 if his word initiates creation, then obedience to his word initiates new creation. It's not about you proving to yourself or to God that you love him. It's about taking responsibility for what he's entrusted to us, which is to bring his kingdom to bear on the world around us, to bring his image to bear on the world around us. This is what we've been talking about for years now, trying to help us see this and understand this. You realize that the first outcome, or one of the first outcomes of sin in the garden was blame. When God comes and says, Adam, what are you doing? The first thing he says is, she did it. It was her. And then he blames God. You gave her to me. If you'd have just left me alone like I was, none of this would have happened. Blame is always an abdication of responsibility. Always. If you know me very well personally, I hate excuses. Hate them. That's a whole other story. Everybody stay focused. So here, here's what I want for us to do. I want us to learn, and we're going to ask God to help us read the Scriptures relationally. We've been talking about this, right? As those who are exiles. Last week's message doesn't make sense if we belong to the world. It only makes sense if we live as exiles in this place. We belong to God and have a responsibility in this world. We have a responsibility, a call. And everything that you and I do matters because our acts of obedience or our acts of disobedience, our acts of intentionality, our acts of indifference all create something. They all create something. I'm not asking you to become obsessive, compulsive about this. I'm asking you to be sensitive to what God is saying and doing in the moments that you live in. I'm asking you to be aware that he is always doing something and calling us and inviting us and entrusting us with words and actions and activities and responses in all of these moments that we step into. And how we steward them is what gets created. This is why I think obedience is important. You're not trying to prove something to God. So one thing that Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called Eat This Book, which is fantastic. But there are all sorts of reasons we read the Bible. And we read it like, right, sometimes you need encouragement, sometimes you need guidance, sometimes you need just a little bit of comfort. And the scriptures do all of those things. We know this. Last week I had people come to me and said, Mike, Jeremiah 29, 11 is my favorite verse, and I just need to ask God to forgive me. You did nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having Jeremiah 29, 11 as your favorite verse. Nothing wrong with that. I'm sure it has encouraged me. It's encouraged you. It, it does that. But if we only do that, we're missing something. If we only do that, we're missing something. Eugene Peterson says it like this. He writes like this. He says, if you just keep looking for nuggets in the Bible, this is my paraphrase. This is what he says. You'll be using the Bible for your purposes 
And those purposes will not require anything of you relationally. You realize the deeper the relationships that you have, the more responsibility you have in them, right? There's a freedom there, but there's a, resp- a deep responsibility. There's requirement from us, from me, and from you. And he goes on, he says, it is possible to read the Bible from a number of different angles and of various purposes without dealing with God as God has revealed himself without setting ourselves under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is alive and present in everything that we do. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What would it be like, instead of reading this like a rule keeper, we learn to read this as an image bearer? What if instead of trying to figure out what God wants you to do, you begin to understand who he is and let your heart be inclined and drawn to him. A lot of us mess this up in a lot of our relationships too, right? Marriage, you're always trying to figure out what your wife wants you to do, which is, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife is not in the nine o'clock service, but she's probably watching. I'm gonna get a text in about five minutes. But if you, if you learn to love, like really learn to love, which is what God reveals, right? He reveals his love for us, his pursuit of us. He demonstrates this to us. The problem is the way he demonstrates his love to us isn't exactly the way you and I really long to live because the way he demonstrates his love is self-giving, others-oriented, self-sacrificing, giving of ourselves. And we hesitate because we're afraid if we do, we won't have what we want. When our hearts have been made, right, for him. This is what, this is, and we know this, we know this. So here's the follow-up. He, John, Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'll send you a helper, an advocate. There's his spirit is gonna come and speak and draw and remind us. This is all in 14, 15, and 16. But I think it's really interesting because he sets this up. And then in verse 23, he picks up and he says this again. We'll read this together on the screen. John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And if we read this as an image bearer, we're going to go, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The focus is on how do we learn how to love him? How do we learn how to receive his love for us and in turn offer that back? My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will abide. We will reside. We'll be together. We will belong. There will be this intimacy that begins to hurt if you love him. And then he adds this. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The words that they hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And he says, anyone who, who, doesn't, who doesn't love isn't going to hear this anyway. And again, I don't, I don't want to get into too much of that, but, but the idea is that he is, this is all relational language. It's all God inviting you to know him so that he can reside with you, which is the full redemption of what was intended, that we would be his dwelling place, we would be his people, he would be our God. So here's what I want to do. I want us to read this section from John 15. Now, we're going to do what we've done the last few weeks. We're going to just kind of take a breath. So God, as you breathe 
you know, kind of God-breathed words, would you let your spirit breathe life into us? I want us to consider, I'm going to kind of walk you through this devotionally. We're going to read this as an image bearer, as one who's been entrusted. We're going to assume that you don't have to prove that you love God. All of us have done something this week that would probably violate this, and we wonder if God knows. So we're going to just assume, we're going to trust his forgiveness, we're going to trust its sufficiency, we're going to trust and sort of enter into his lordship. He has authority, and he's king, and we're going to enter into this place. We're going to listen to his words and see what we, how we can learn how to begin to do this. So when you open your Bible to John chapter 15, verse 9, and you begin to read, and again, this whole section, 14, 15, 16, is just dense. So we breathe in, we say, God, can you reveal yourself to us? Can you help us to see something? And then we read, as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. One of the things that you want to do is to begin to ask yourself, how did Jesus keep the Father's commands? Did he follow, did he stay away from lepers? No, he touched them, right? They're like, how did he do this? What you begin to see is what Jesus modeled. And I think most importantly was Jesus' responsiveness. His responsiveness. He heard and he saw and he obeyed God's spirit, God's breath. As I have kept the Father's commands, right, so also you do this. And then here's what he's telling us. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. A lot of us think that God has given us his word to keep you from doing bad things. But he's told you these things, why? So that you would come alive. So that his joy would be in you and this joy would be full. So that the fear of giving yourself away for another is diminished because you don't need to hold on to that to find what you're looking for. This is the picture. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no man, has no one than this to lay one's life down for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. If you do what I command. And this isn't a threat. This is what happens when relationships begin to operate with the responsibility that's required for them. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's pueo is the word, his business, his creation, his activity. Isn't this cool? Right? I've called you friends because friends know the Father's activity. They see what is happening 
all around. All around. Instead, Jesus says, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. We have responsibility. I appointed you, chose you, and appointed you. There's a, there's a purpose to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. And then he just reiterates this. This is my command. That you love one another. I have tried really hard to get out from the emphasis of Jesus to love other people. You know why? Because like not killing is a lot easier than loving someone. Would y'all agree with that? And Jesus just keeps asking and asking and asking and pushing. And the reason is because we have been created to bear his image. We've been entrusted with the responsibility to represent him and to bring his way into the world in which we live, not through systems, through relationships, through the way you and I choose to love another. And that doesn't mean anything goes. It means just the opposite. It means are you aware of what the Spirit is saying to you, of the activity of the Father in the moments that you've been entrusted with? Are you aware because the promise is, that's available. That's available. What would it be like if you were to be aware of God's ongoing activity, right, in the places that you have to interact with this week? There's something else going on. And what might yielding, trusting him what might it create in those places? Right? There's plenty to be frustrated about. There's plenty to pull your hair out over. And listen, it's about to get more fun in the next few months. We are strangers and exiles who belong to the Father and have a responsibility to his world. Right? So let's ask him and let's seek him. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? All of us that are gathered, we feel pressure to justify ourselves, to make excuses, and to blame others. And I just ask that you would just gently remind us you have chosen us and you have appointed us. You have purpose and you have intention. You are good and you are kind, but you are also our king. 
would be willing to submit all things to you, to take the risk to sacrifice for others. God, and to learn what it is like to bring new creation to the world because we obey what you have commanded. And help us to begin to see this differently. And over time, Father, that our love for you would simply yield a very, very normal adherence to what you have said. Would you lead us and guide us in that direction this week for the sake of all the new creation that needs to happen in this world this week? We lift all this in your son Jesus, who is our king. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget, we've got uh, some folks from Enlace out there. We'd love to help you guys connect in that way. Thank y'all, and we'll see you guys uh, next Sunday. Thanks.